Mr. Gorbachev, tear down this wall. Either you are with us or you are with the terrorists. If you've got health care already, then you can keep your plan if you are satisfied with it. Donald Trump is not going to be president of the United States. Take it to the bank. Together, we will make America great again. We shall never surrender. Never surrender. It's what you've been waiting for all day. Buck Sexton with America Now. Join the conversation. Call Buck toll-free at 844-900-BUCK. That's 844-900-2825. Sharp mind, strong voice. Buck Sexton. Quite a day for the Trump White House, everybody. Uh, Team Buck, welcome. Welcome to the Freedom Hut. Great to have you. An honor and a privilege. Oh, man. So we got to do it, everybody. We got to get into this. I... I wish I could sit here and say that we were we would spend our time uh, doing a, a deep dive into uh, a history of of ancient Rome and, and perhaps trace the thread of Western from Plato all the way in ancient Greece through Rome, through England, the Magna Carta, the role of the church and America, the founding, you know, something really fun and interesting and historical and information dense and rich and I think, unfortunately, that will have to wait for another day because this Russia stuff is just catching fire right now all over the place. And I'm I'm uh, I'm struggling a little bit with some of it. Here's here's what I would say. Uh, Of course, the left is overplaying it, as they always do. And part of the problem for them is that they've been so. We've been so desensitized, in a a way, to their allegations about Russia and collusion, all that stuff. We've been desensitized, and so when there is an actual breaking news story that they have on it, some of us have a kind of meh feeling about it. Um, But then again, they're not playing to us, right? We're not the audience for this. Uh, When CNN and, and New York Times and others have something that's... News, whether you think it's fair or whether you think it's uh, accurate or not, at least it qualifies as news, as opposed to a lot of what they do, which is just a, a series of uh, inquiries posing as news, interrogatives uh, under the with the facade of advancing the story. But it's really just, you know, is it possible Trump committed treason, question mark? I mean, you know, that, that's a think piece they've been running for months in one way or another. But now they're actually saying it. So let's go over or... They're saying it in a te- in concert with a, a whole new slew of uh, allegations and, and information. So so we we talked about this lawyer, and I, I've been uh, I've been trying to get to the bottom of this. Yesterday I said to you I, I wasn't buying some of what the initial response from the White House was. Look, just just because Trump says it, or just because some of the Trump White House says it, doesn't mean that that's the way it is, or was, or is going to be. We see this. Uh, Hey, let's have a Russian cyber uh, get together where we talk about cybersecurity. Well, if you were saying that Trump's idea on that was great over the weekend, by the time Monday rolled around, Trump was like, nah, not going to happen. So what does that mean if you were defending him? So so even the, the, the Trump policy and Trump administration defenders have to be careful now because whether they're willing to give the president the leeway to fight his own way, and I know a lot of you do, and that's your approach to this, and I, I appreciate and respect that. 
he's got to do it his way. It doesn't mean that you're necessarily going to always be in a position to explain or defend what he's doing because he may change his mind on it. So people will get caught up sometimes. They'll say, oh, no, that Trump policy is that's a brilliant idea. And then a day later, Trump's like, no, I don't like that policy idea anymore. It doesn't mean that your comment or doesn't mean that that person's comment is is wrong or is disingenuous. It just means that the that has changed. There's a lot of change with this administration. It's easy to get caught out thinking that you are uh, being supportive of Trump administration agenda. And in fact, you've just gotten a little bit of ahead of your skis or I guess Trump's gotten ahead of his skis and you're the one paying the price for it. But not on anything that really matters all that much. On the Russia meeting with this uh, this lawyer, um, we have more information about her. But here's the big bombshell of the day, everybody. Uh, Donald Trump Jr. Uh, released his email chain, his correspondence with this, uh, well, with, with an intermediary who set up the meeting with the lawyer. Okay, so that's uh, Rob Goldstone, who's a publicist, and this is now, so this is now out there. The initial let's let's all be very honest about this. The initial reaction from the White House when these stories are being run by the by the New York Times over the weekend was that it had to do with a adoption stuff. Well, it turns out that's not really what's going on here, and and I. I don't know. How, how do we position this? What's the what's the response when someone says to you or when someone says in general, hey, uh, why did the Trump administration have to come out and say that it was about adoption? Why couldn't they just say, look, somebody wanted to give us information. They said they had damaging information on Hillary. We're running a political campaign. We we had uh, someone vouching for that individual and we took the meeting. You see, this is now this is where the media goes all crazy. There's nothing wrong with sitting down with Hillary, I'm sorry, not Hillary Clinton. Ah, Hillary's a mate. No, there's nothing wrong sitting down with somebody who says they have information. There's a lot that's wrong with sitting down with Hillary Clinton. Just kidding. Uh, there's nothing wrong with saying that or sitting down with someone who who tells you that they have compromising information on Hillary. Let's remember, everybody, the Trump opposition, Democrats, and from what I've read, Republicans were part of this in the early days as well. Were willing to pay for a dossier. That made just the most uh, bizarre and grotesque uh, allegations about the president's behavior and claiming the Russians had him compromised. And this is how a lot of people found out about what a certain kind of shower was, because they had to read about this. And it was in this report and BuzzFeed published it, the dossier, as we all call it now. Uh so there were dirty tricks and uh, underhanded uh, political stuff. Uh, that's all been a part of this all along. And, and is any is that surprising anybody? By the way, with with the Clintons, uh, do do we really think for a moment? I mean, first of all, Hillary starts out with the huge advantage of having the entire media in her pocket, except for one channel and talk radio and some you know uh, some columnists and so forth. But 90% of the media is in Hillary's pocket. So they're, they're doing her bidding in one way or another. Uh, and Trump is fighting back against that machinery. As we know, d- did you ever get the sense? I mean, I just, for purposes of comparison, and people could claim that this is a, a whataboutism, but not all whataboutisms are, are unfair or a waste or a diversion. 
And about, I'll get into, just an aside, I'll get into all the the complete media meltdown that's going on right now over this uh, these Trump emails. But, you know, you never got the sense when Hillary was legitimately under a criminal investigation for the use of her server, it, somehow it was never like a, a criminal investigation. It was a security matter. And as we know from Loretta Lynch talking to James Comey based on the former FBI director's own testimony, I mean, it was, they were they were massaging that issue. They were, you know, I'm not, not going to let it just, I'm not going to let it have poor optics, as the saying goes in D.C. So that matters, right? All along here with Trump, they've been creating the impression that Trump is under some kind of criminal investigation, and now you have a special prosecutor. And I want you all to remember, I told you, special prosecutor, bad idea. All along, I've been very consistent. Special prosecutor, or I know they call it a special counsel, the same idea. Bad idea. That was was the Democrats turning the principles of the Republican Party and the people in the Republican Party against them, using their principles as a weapon against them. Oh, don't you guys believe in fair play? Well, yeah, I guess, you know, why don't we get a special counsel and then everyone will know we're fair. The Democrats are just just clapping their hands when that they love that that's great uh so the media is very powerful in all of this and that's why when they finally have a story that they're now able to point to and say see there's evidence of collusion they couldn't be any happier about this i mean it's it's wall-to-wall coverage on this folks this is the the biggest story and right now in fact on cnn uh you have that the doj will probe uh, Trump Jr.'s disclosed email. So Donnie Trump Jr., this is at the heart of the whole matter. And I know I've been, we're going we're to spend a, a bit of time on this because it's important. Um, Donnie Trump Jr. disclosed these emails voluntarily. Now, I've also seen the reporting that the New York Times had uh, had already been, knew about the meeting and, and um and that there was going to be a there was going to be some kind of information dump, and so Donald Trump Jr. Uh, just tried to get ahead of this by releasing his emails. Now, what everyone's pointing to in the emails is that it is clear from the exchange that there was some promise of, or uh, there was supposed to be a promise of information that was damaging to Hillary. And one of the inter, one of the intermediaries says that a Russian um, that a, a senior Russian prosecutor. I'm trying to remember the exact uh, verbiage of it, but that essentially a senior Russian government prosecutor has information on uh, on Hillary Clinton that's damaging. That has to do with her uh, has to do with her dealings in Russia. So. Uh, Trump Jr. responds and and says, you know, yeah, or, you know, this this is something that we should look into, and, and they set up they set up the uh, meeting, um, and uh, now we're told the meeting didn't have there was nothing really there, and it was no big deal. Uh, so that's what happened here. The emails came out today. Here we. Oh, by the way, I wanted to give you from Rob Goldstone to Donald Trump Jr. June third, twenty sixteen. 10.36 a.m. Good morning. Eamon just called and asked me to contact you with something very interesting. The Crown Prosecutor of Russia met with his father, Aras, this morning, and in their meeting offered to provide the Trump campaign 
with some official documents and information that would incriminate Hillary and her dealings with Russia and would be very useful to your father. Uh, background on this, by the way, Eamon is a Russian pop star, according to NBR here, and Eros is his father, who is a real estate billionaire who's been called the Donald Trump of Russia. Uh, he, I mean, he must be an interesting fellow. Uh, so Trump is friends with them. So, look, Trump had some... Uh, Trump has some connections to some wealthy Russians, as anybody of Trump's stature, I think, would. And an individual came forth and said that they had information for Donald on Hillary. Why wouldn't Donald Trump Jr. take that meeting? And by the, it wasn't just Donald Trump Jr. It was Manafort. It was uh, Jared Kushner. Manafort was the campaign chairman at the time. And, you know, he, there's some there's a little bit of. A little bit of a shade, a little bit of shadiness that I think you sense with Manafort. I'm just, guys, I'm keeping it real. Uh, but they, they, why wouldn't they take the meeting? So the meeting is fine. I, I have no problem with them taking this meeting. And all of the, all of the, oh my gosh, goodness gracious, how could they want to sit down for get opposition research on Hillary? I mean, you know, they've how many different times have journalists come out and before that, you know, with either Hillary, I'm sure, and her oppo team feeding them the information saying that, you know, Trump did this, that was illegal, did that, that was illegal. I mean, there are people that are working uh, hand in glove with journalists to leak them information that's classified specifically to hurt the Trump campaign. I mean, look, it's an all out political it's an all out political war and it has been all along. So, yeah, are you going to take this meeting? Sure. I, I, would, I would have taken the meeting if I was uh, in the shoes of, I'm sure the very expensive shoes of uh, Donald Trump Jr., uh, Jared Kushner, and Paul Manafort. Here's what I don't get, and I don't know if any of you want to toss an answer out there for me on the lines, but I, I don't pretend to have all the answers here because uh, I don't know what's going on. I don't know if this is diversion, if it's smokescreen, or if it's just a blunder from some of the Trump people. But why let it get to this point? Because, I mean, the media is in full-on freakout right now. I mean, here's CNN's Jake Tapper, the closest thing that the mainstream media has right now in the anti-Trump resistance to, you know, he's the left's Walter Cronkite right now and all this stuff. And here's what he had to say today. This can't be dismissed as people out to get Donald J. Trump Jr., or fake news. This is evidence of willingness to commit collusion. This that's is- what this is on its face. Now, maybe there's an explanation for it, and if that's true, uh, we can talk about that. But somebody's saying the Russian government wants to help your dad with damaging information on Hillary Clinton, and Donald Trump Jr. saying, I love it, and then taking the meeting, that is a willingness to work with the Russian government to get damaging information on Hillary Clinton. Okay, just let's just note w- evidence of willingness to commit collusion. To say to commit has an implication that there's a a legal jeopardy attached to it, or or, or it creates the connotation of legal wrongdoing. These are private citizens; they can sit down and talk to some Russian about. They say they got bad stuff on Hillary. There's nothing. Commit collusion. Collu- See now they're now they're blending the terms. Now they're intentionally muddying the waters to get a groundswell of outrage going against Trump and, you know, f- uh, fuel the special counsel investigation even more. Because here's the reality of this. Commit collusion. Collusion is not a crime at all. There's nothing that's sitting down with this Russian to find out bad stuff about Hillary. It doesn't matter where it came from. 
They're they're sitting down with a with a foreign national says they've got information that they should hear. They're, they're private citizens. They're running a political campaign. Why can't they sit and hear that? Did, I mean, do journalists ever do any any thinking about this before they get all outraged and freak out, or is it just ah collusion? What does it even mean? Collusion's become like a dirty word. All right. By the way, do, do you have any answers about what you think the Trump campaign has been up to the last few days? Do you, do you, was it intentional? Did they just make a mistake? Is there something they're trying to hide? Uh, I don't. I'm asking you. 844-900-2825. 844-900-BUCK. Uh, we've got more on this and certainly more on the reaction to Donald Trump Jr. releasing those emails that show that uh, some Russians wanted to tell the Trump something. That's all we know so far. We'll be right back. Some calls. Kent in North Carolina, WPTI. What's going on, Kent? Hey, uh, Buck, good to talk with you. You too, um, sir. I had a quick comment. Uh, just a quick comment about uh, Donald Trump Jr. I think they should just flip it out in the media and just say, hey, we did meet with the Russians, and this is what they provided, and lay out all the information that they provided. We chose not to use it, or we chose to use it in this way. And that way the eyes go back to the Clinton campaign and take it off the Trump campaign. No, I, I, I comp- look, Ken, I, I totally agree with you, but and, and I'm asking you a question that I, I, I don't have an answer for, so I can't expect you or anyone else to have an answer for because I'm not sure anyone really knows other than the people involved. But, you know, man, to me it seems like, why say that it was about an adoption? It was about adoption when when clearly there was already a paper trail saying that it was about or, you know, a digital paper paper trail saying that it had to do with oppo on Hillary. I mean, oppo on Hillary is completely legitimate. There's no problem with that. Yeah, that is the problem that the, the Trump folks have is they have to keep backing up on things. I think if they just had a, a straightforward response. This is what we did. This is why we did it. He's a businessman. He understands clarity. Uh, he needs to make sure that the folks that respond uh, to these uh, questions with the media uh, are straightforward as well. Uh, I hear you, man. No Ken, hiding. I'm sorry. Go ahead. I think there's no hiding behind this. Um, just be straightforward and honest. Speak to the people like you did on the campaign. Be clear. Be sincere. Be yeah, no, I think that. Look, I think that's really good advice. Thank you, Kent, for calling in from North Carolina. Uh, I look here. Here's where I am on this. I'm starting to think, and look, Trump. What Trump did, defeating Hillary, it's amazing, right? And so, for me, little old radio, radio, uh, you know, guy here in the Freedom Hut to be giving advice on PR to somebody that's been in the trenches. Uh, like Donald Trump has for decades. Forget about running for president, just in general in New York with the tabloids and everything else. You know, may, maybe I'm getting a little out of my depth with that, but I would just say this. I'm starting to feel like Trump, part of the problem is that Trump doesn't realize that he can't wait out a new, there, there's no there's no waiting out a news cycle with him. It's not like, okay, we, let, we, we, lose, we lose today's news cycle, tomorrow it'll drop out, and then you know, we can come back with a different narrative. Uh, every mistake, the left, the media, they seize on every mistake that he makes, and they add it up on the board, and they go back to it right away. So it's cumulative. And I don't think Trump's used to dealing with that. But I've got a lot more on this team, so stay with me. The Freedom Hut rocks online, too. You can hang out with Team Buck anytime. Plus, get Buck's latest news and analysis. Go to BuckSexton.com. That's BuckSexton.com. Are you not entertained? 
The buck is back. Bob in Virginia, WPTI. What are your thoughts on this Trump Jr. email release and attempted Russia collusion, sir? Uh, well, I happen to agree with you 100%, Buck. Uh, when they came out and said, you know, they're going to meet with this uh, Russian contact for some kind of adoption, now you're going, whoa. And now they're saying, you know, the dirt stuff that went in the state. I think somebody's got to think. Maybe I, what I feel, everybody should just tweet. And then nobody could say nothing. You just keep on going with that. Even all, this, all the people under him, I'm thinking now that his people underneath him are not thinking about anything right. They use the Donald approach. You come in, say what you want to say, and, you know, you, know, you want to, you know, get things across because you can't, you can't rebut the guy because he just comes out and says it. But now, you know, it, it, you're, you're 100% on. Why did they say that? That is – it just gets you a little uh, annoyed. And, uh, you know, uh, I don't know about Don Jr. It, well, it, it gives the other side, Bob, it gives the other side a, a very useful tool to smack people like you and me with. And we're talking to anybody about this or trying to trying to hold uh, hold strong on the on the issue and hold the line. People say, oh, why they lie about the adoption? They go, OK, look, I don't know why they did that. But sitting down to find out bad stuff about a Hillary from from anybody. I mean, you know, the guy, the guy that uh, supposedly put together the st- the uh, the dossier was uh, he was a he was a foreigner, right? I mean, this is so. What's the big deal? But why lie about it? Yeah, that's what I'm saying. They just say it and say, "Hey, we know she's done things wrong, Hillary." What are you just saying? Hey, we we wanted to find out, you know, what was what was turning here, and uh, you know, I, I just don't understand why they went this uh, adoption route. It just—I don't know. I'm just—you uh, know—I think maybe Donald should just tweet and forget about everything else and just move on, as they say. Yeah, you I know? hear you, man. Shields, hi, Bob. Thanks for calling in. Here's what Sarah Huckabee Sanders had to say about it uh, earlier today. I have a quick uh, statement that I'll read from the president. Um, my son is a high-quality high person, and I applaud his transparency. And beyond that, uh, I'm going to have to refer everything on this matter to John Jr.'s counsel and outside counsel and won't have anything else to add beyond that today. That's uh, that's not going to stop the feeding frenzy here at all. In fact, in a, in a sense, that unfortunately uh, is going to just the we're not going to talk more about this line that that's going to that's going to chum the water, so to speak. And uh, off in the off camera press briefing, uh, Sarah Huckabee Sanders also said the following uh, that I think is this is not going to go away. So. I think that the president is, um, I would say, frustrated with the process of the fact that um, this continues to be an issue, and he would love for us to be focused on things like Justin mentioned to the economy, uh, on health care, on tax reform, on infrastructure, and that's the place that his mind is, and that's what he'd like to be discussing. You know, I I completely agree with uh, Ms. Ms. Huckabee Sanders here in that it would be so much better for the American people and it's so much more worthwhile for all of us to have have the have the media focus, the ongoing conversation, you know, the time that we can all spend as as citizens of this uh, great republic to look into issues, to understand them better and to hopefully push our elected representatives to make smarter decisions and at the grassroots and local level. Uh, to do what we can in our own communities to just just make this country better, make this country great or greater, I should say. Um, and 
you know, the Russia thing's not. This is the the, the biggest story that they've run on Russia really since Flynn uh, resigned or was fired. Well, yeah, was fired, uh, and that whole that whole debacle. This is the biggest the biggest hit I think the administration's taken is today. Let's just call it like it is, everyone. It, it's not useful to pretend that this isn't going to be difficult for the administration. That's not to say that I think that. The underlying allegations, true, and I, but I need to get to what the allegations are from the Democrats and the left. I, I will do that in, in just a just a, a minute here, but I, I do want to get to one more of our callers because I, I know a lot of people have been trying to get in here. Uh, Brantley in uh, Mississippi on WBUV, good to have you on. Hey, hey, Buck. How you doing, Brantley? Good, good. How are you? I'm good, man. What's on your mind? Oh. Uh. The collusion and the Donald, the Donald, even the emails or whatever. Yeah, Donald Trump Jr. He released uh, these emails. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, what about that? I mean, I just, I mean, how does what's behind that and stuff? What, why did he do it? I mean, he did it because I think he realized that there was more information that was going to come out about the meeting. And I, here's what I, here's what I think: someone inside the Trump inner circle. Is and people have been saying this for a while. Someone inside the Trump inner circle uh, is is betraying the Trumps. Um, so you know you've got right now, for example, on on Drudge Report a link that there's a, a, a leak for the leak. I mean, uh, sorry, uh, leaks about who the prospective leaker may be. But I don't. I think the administration responded on this and figured, well, it was a private conversation and it's no one's business, and so we'll say whatever about it. And they picked one. They picked a small part of the conversation and said that's what it was really about. But I think they got wind somehow that the press, Brantley, knew that there had been this exchange of, hey, can you, you know, we want to give you some damaging info on Hillary. And that's where this and so Donald Trump Jr. wanted to get ahead of it. You know what I mean? Does, does that make sense? So he, so he's like, look, all right, fine. I'll tell everybody what's going on. This is public re- relations. Honestly, it's public relations triage 101, but it is public relations basics. So that's why. Uh, and, and it does not look good right now. Uh, that doesn't mean that it doesn't look good in terms of how they're handling it. That doesn't mean that the deeper allegations about. Uh, Russia and Russia hacking the election and all that are true, but did I did I explain that pretty decently, Brantley? What do you think? Yes, sir. Yes, sir. All right. Explain that. Yes, sir. I appreciate your time. Absolutely, I appreciate your time, man. Thank you for listening to my show. Shields high, Brantley. Um, and we got uh, one more. Janice up in uh, Massachusetts, WKOX. What's up, Janice? Hi, Buck. Good to talk to you. You I too. I missed your last call, uh, call because I was looking up your phone number, so I don't know if I'm repeating it. But um, you keep saying, why did they, are they saying that the meeting was about adoption? But that's my understanding. That's what was discussed, that she didn't want to discuss anything else. Well, yeah, but the the, the pretext for the meeting wasn't about adoption, right? So that's that's where this gets into a it, it seems Janice dishonest right like if you and I were going to sit down to uh to have a a meeting about um i, I you know if we were going to have a meeting about how we're going to buy a house together uh but during that meeting we also discussed how you know i i like uh, this new coffee machine that i just bought and someone said what was your meeting about and i said well it was about the coffee machine that's not re- you know what I mean? That's not really yeah. true. 
Uh, so, I mean, it's not a lie, but it's kind of a lie of omission or it's kind of a misstatement of what's going on. So I just remember, there's no crime here that I'm aware of. This is not about criminality. Uh, it's about fighting a very difficult political campaign and, you know, taking a chance on somebody that may have information that will damage your opponent. But this uh, this is what op- oppo research involves people like this all the time. That's why I don't understand why. I, I think the Trump's Janice made this or Trump Jr. and the Trump response has made this worse than it would have been. You know what I'm saying? If they just said, yeah, we took we took a meeting. But I think because the person was Russian and all the Russia stories, they didn't want to talk about it. But didn't he come out when he spoke about it yesterday? I thought he said that she called the meeting with the pretense that she had information against Hillary, and then all she wanted to do was talk about abortion. So, I mean, he did mention why he originally had the meeting. Yeah, but that wasn't the that wasn't the initial reason given. You know, over the weekend, I guess it was on Saturday, Sunday, and going oh, into into the news cycle on Monday, and from the email exchange. There is a clear statement made by a Russian that the Russian government is trying to, uh, you know, the Russian government is supporting in some way or would like to support Trump's, uh, you know, Trump's campaign. Now, that's not an official statement from the Russian government. It's somebody who says the Russian government favors Trump, right? I mean, you know, we, we can all say this about any number of different countries. Just you can pick one and say, well, I think they'd rather have this political candidate win a U.S. election or that one. Uh, but I think that I think that this is a mostly self-inflicted wound for the administration. I don't think it's a huge one, but it's it's not savvy, Janice. Um, you know, why why not come clean right away? Because they've now had to come clean. They've had to release the email exchange. The delay looks problematic. Right. It's not like they could delay this over six months. That's the Clinton technique. Just delay something for so long that people forget what you're even trying to find out about. Delaying it a day in this news cycle, I think, is uh, is damaging. It's problematic. So, I, but look, if you disagree or you think I'm wrong on this one, I, I do not pretend to to have a hundred percent lockdown on what's going on here. I didn't hear what came out. I didn't realize anything came out over the weekend. I was away and I didn't. Hear oh, sure. I, I well, just, you should you can check out it. those emails, Janice. I'm telling you, when you see the email chain. You'll see. Well, no, you'll say, I, I did. I did see the email. Oh, you see all the email chain. Okay, yeah. I mean, the email chain does. does it doesn't look great. Can we agree the email chain doesn't look great? I'm not saying it's illegal or it's a huge deal. It doesn't look great though. But the other thing was this attorney. They keep saying she was a government attorney, but she says she wasn't. And what's the truth on that? I, yeah, that's a great question. That's a great question. By the way, uh, thank you for calling in, Janice Shields. Hi. Okay. Here is the uh, here's the lawyer talking about whether she has a connection to Russia. What was the purpose of that meeting? I never knew who else would be attending the meeting. All I knew that Mr. Donald Trump Jr. was willing to meet with me. It appears that they were going to be told some information that you had about the DNC. How did they get that impression? It's quite possible that maybe they were looking for such information. They wanted it so badly. Have you ever worked for the Russian government? Uh, do you have connections to the Russian government? Yep. No. I know what that means. Yet. Yet. Uh, she says no. Do you believe her? I, I, I don't know. Up to you. Russia is a very different place than America in terms of, well, a whole lot of things, my friends. Um, who's involved with and has connections to the government and who doesn't? I don't, I don't know. Uh, this whole thing looks shady, though.
It is, and it is a, like I said, feeding frenzy for the uh, left-wing media. Uh, and the Trump the Trump squad here did not help themselves out with how this was handled. Uh, we got to talk, though, about where they're going too far on this and where they're going to go next, where they're going to push the narrative, because I have some feelings on, I have some, I have feelings, I always have feelings. No, I mean, I have a, a sense, I have some assessment of where I think that's all going, but you have to stay with me through this break, and I'll tell you. Be right back. So we've got uh, Tim Kaine, who was the vice presidential candidate, uh, saying that this is um, I can't close to this is this is now turning into an investigation of treason. Apparently, play that, please. You think this What's is treason? That the, the investigation, it, it's not. Uh, nothing is proven yet, but it, we're, we're now beyond obstruction of justice in terms of what's being investigated. This is moving into perjury, false statements, uh, and even into potentially treason. Potentially treason. There you go. I, I would like to note that, that treason has a very specific legal definition. It has to do with uh, aiding an enemy in a time of, of war. Uh, how anyone would think that what we've seen so far... Would go anywhere near that uh, that level is is beyond my understanding, um, or is beyond my ability to extrapolate. Uh, but Tim Kaine, senator from Virginia, is clearly trying to add right now to the anti-Trump momentum, and it is um, it is a thing that uh, campaigns going to figure, or not starting the campaign, the administration is going to have to figure out how they're going to. How they're going to handle this. Um, you got Republicans, too, on this one. Lindsey Graham. Here's what he had to say. Hey. Anytime you're in a campaign and you get an offer from a foreign government to help your campaign, the answer is no. So I don't know what Mr. Trump Jr.'s uh, version of the facts are. I Definitely he has to testify. That email is disturbing. But what is equally odd to me is that the person they met with knew absolutely nothing. So I don't know why they would pick somebody for him to meet with that didn't have any information about the Clinton campaign. But on its face, this is very problematic. Uh, We cannot allow foreign governments to reach out to anybody's campaign and say, we'd like to help you. That is a non-starter. But is she, uh, why are we saying that she is a foreign government? This uh, Veselnitskaya, according to the New York Times, Veselnitskaya, now that's the New York Times, keep that in mind, Veselnitskaya's ties to the Kremlin uh, involve, quote, clients including state-owned businesses and a senior government official's son. Her activities and associations had previously drawn the attention of the FBI, according to a former senior law enforcement official. Veselnitskaya was also once married to a Russian transportation official, according to the New York Times. Uh, not exactly, you know, not not exactly like Putin's, you know, minister of defense or something here. I mean, I, I don't know why... We're making the jump to uh, this was the, 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 they could know. Now, look, I understand people who are who are uh, Russia, uh, students of Russia and very familiar with uh, how that country operates may be saying right now, well, hold on a second, Buck. You know, she could have been sent on government business in a civilian sort of civilian garb, if you will. She could have been sent there. The, the government or a government Officials in Russia could say, hey, Ms. Veselnitskaya, it's a fun name to say, uh, go tell the Trump campaign X. But did the Trump campaign really, would they have known that? You know, 
why was Donald Trump Jr. even involved in this, I think, is a, is a, is a fair question to ask. Uh, the allegation, though, that this is a, a foreign government campaign contribution, I mean, that's, come on, that's ridiculous. If we're now going to say that uh, in, information is, is a thing of monetary value when it comes to statute, well, um, then we're causing we're creating all kinds of First Amendment problems for ourselves right off the bat. I don't I don't see that as being anywhere near a, a reality. Um, but this whole story has gotten a, a whole lot more difficult for the administration. I think that much at this point is true. And you've got. To, oh, you know, he's excited about this. Podesta, the uh, Clinton confidant and former Clinton campaign manager of the failed Hillary Clinton campaign. Here's here's what he was saying about this. He's excited. You know, it's starting to smell more and more uh, like collusion to, I think, the public. But most importantly, we really need to get the facts straight on this. Okay, I mean, I actually agree we need to get the facts straight on this. I would like to get the facts straight. I'd like the Trump campaign to really just... We need to know what's going on here, um, not because I think there's anything nefarious or, or bad going on. As I said, I don't see a problem with the meeting. If someone says, I, I got stuff to tell you about Hillary Clinton, what are you going to say? No, maybe maybe you were sent here by the government. They don't. How do they know? They don't know. They just know that someone says they've got bad info about Hillary. I'm just wondering. So if you get if you're, you know, a, a political campaign and you get an anonymous tip, that somebody's, you know, I don't know, your political opponent has a has a second family that nobody knows about that he's, you know, been sort of hiding on the side, and you go find that out. It turns out that some foreign government sent you that tip, unbeknownst to you. Is that, is that a foreign campaign contribution? I mean, think, where does that end, right? So that's I, I don't I don't buy that at all. I just why couldn't they just tell us this right right from the get go? I th- I think that they, you know, you see this by the way in a lot of in a lot of uh, criminal court proceedings. Someone didn't do anything wrong, but they just they, they think something might sound a little bit bad, so they don't really tell everything, and, and then they get themselves into trouble. I mean, this isn't a criminal proceeding yet, but it, it doesn't look so great. He's holding the line for America. Buck Sexton is back. Welcome back, everyone. We've got someone who needs no introduction, but I'll give her one anyway. Tommy Laren. She is a conservative political commentator, has taken the world of political commentary by storm the last few years. And she's a friend of mine and former Blaze colleague. Uh, great to have you on, Tommy. Thanks so much for giving us a ring. Oh, it's been too long. And yep. now both of us are on the other side. And, you know, it's a great time to be an American. So all good things. <laughs> it, it is a great time to be an American. However, today there are a lot of folks who are saying some pretty tough stuff about the presidency, Tommy. Now, you make no secret about being a, a Trump supporter. You have not made any secret about that from the beginning. In fact, you and I, it should be noted, were the only two that I knew of at the blaze at the time who were openly supporting Trump against against Hillary. So, um Tell me what you think, what's real and what's not with all this Donald Trump Jr., Russia meeting collusion. you got people talking about treason, Tommy. It's crazy out there. Well, of course they are. And these are the same folks that, uh, you know, told us time after time that Hillary's email scandal was nothing burger, that we shouldn't discuss it. And now, of course, they found something to pin on a member of the Trump family. So they're not going to let this go. They've been trying to prove this Russia thing for months because it's their way of avoiding the results of the election. 
So I, I see it continuing, but the, the sad thing is that they're so obsessed with it. They think that average everyday Americans are obsessed with it. And I don't know about you, Buck, but that's not what my family really cares about at the end of the day. They really care about jobs, the economy, immigration, and national security. I think that the media overall can't get used to this new reality where their their uh, outrage and and pearl clutching and oh, oh good heavens how could he do that uh, it doesn't matter how many times they say it or or how much they feign fainting uh, it doesn't work people don't really at least the people that voted for Trump in the first place don't care to your point about your family and what they do care about uh, the media seems to have forgotten that nothing really has changed from that respect. People actually want there to be a successful Trump agenda and they want the implementation of it. Uh, but I, I think that the media is starting to get the sense. I mean, I know that the uh, ratings for CNN have been uh, lackluster recently. Well, of course. And I know that you've been on that network before and you and I have had this. <laughs> I worked for them for two years, Tommy. I'm still recovering. <laughs> it's traumatic. <laughs> I know. I mean, they usually bring conservatives on to use as a punching bag. But, you know, that's either here nor there. CNN is failing because CNN has been pushing this Russian narrative. I got to tell you, I was in the airport out the delayed flight a couple weeks ago trying to make my way to Spokane, Washington for a speech. And I had to watch CNN. The fact that they still play that in airports is sickening, but they do. So I was sitting there for five hours and they covered two things. They covered climate change and they covered Russia collusion. And that was it, as if nothing else was going on in the world. And that's CNN. We're speaking to Tommy Lahren, everyone. She is a uh, political phenom and commentator on all things, all things America. Uh, so, Tommy, you have done a video recently about snowflakeism. Tell us about that. W what is this condition known as snowflakeism? Well, I mean, I think that CNN obviously suffers from it, and, and they're a great example. But again, you'd think that the snowflakes would have given it up. I thought, you know, they would do their marches during the inauguration. I thought that maybe it would move in for a month or two. And then we thought that they would melt when spring was coming. And, of course, they're still sticking around with their riots and their marches on everything from taxes to, to science to you know, gay pride, whatever it is. It turns into an anti-Trump march at the end of the day. But that's what it is. I mean, it's snowflakes. It's accepted, accept the reality. Why do they want America to fail? They have to accept the reality that if they want President Trump to fail, they want the United States of America to fail. I didn't want Barack Obama to fail. Unfortunately, he did. But I didn't want that because I wanted what was best for my country. And these snowflakes can't wrap their minds around it. What are all the protests about in your mind? I mean, why do we have all these marches, the March for Women, the March for Science, the March for any number of things? They, they all have an anti-Trump uh, an, an anti underpinning or there, there's anti-Trump stuff going on at them. But it, it seems to me like this is really just a part of a, a, a culture, that the left has a culture of, or the progressives have a culture of protesting, making a lot of noise. And it's really about virtue signaling and self-aggrandizement. But I, I want to know what your take is. Well, of course, because they think that that is their version of the civil rights movement. That's their their version of a social justice movement. And it's just gathering in the streets with F Trump signs. I mean, that if that's the best that they have and wearing stupid hats, it's really sad to see what you know their activism has become. But it's anything from protesting conservative speakers on college campuses. They will riot for anything and everything. They'll riot against the police. They'll riot against President Trump. They'll riot against conservative speakers. It is for attention. And it's sad that it's become that way. And it's sad that so many of them are out there exercising their First Amendment against the First Amendment of others. That's, to me, I think the most ironic part. And then they also protest capitalism, meanwhile, using their iPhone 7, which is another ironic part. But 
don't tell them that because it makes them very upset. Tommy, I, I know that usually when we see any news story about what's going on on college campuses, it's because the most left-wing, craziest, most progressive stuff imaginable is going on on any given campus, right? That there there's a, a, a day without or, or a day that, that bans white students from the campus, for example. You know, that right. happened up in, in Washington State. But people, I think, also should hear, and I know you're in touch with uh, folks on campuses across the country. You have a very large college age and millennial following. There are people who support Trump who are in college, and, and they are still part of this movement. And, and I, th- I just wanted you to speak to that for a moment for everyone listening, that it's not every young person uh, thinks that they should be walking around, as you, as you say, suffering from snowflakeism and talking about mansplaining and how gender is non-binary and all this other. And, and, and we're ready for Hillary, right? There is another side and we don't ever hear about it, but I know you do. Oh, there are so many Trump supporters on college campuses, and there's so many Trump supporters out there in blue states as well. And I travel around the country and do speeches, and I speak to a lot of conservatives, but a lot of folks as well that we call them, you know, the whisper voters. They're afraid to say that they're Trump supporters because, honestly, look at the left. The alt-left is deranged. They will hurt you if you're a Trump supporter. So there are many out there that, unfortunately, they're not as fearless as I am, that they are afraid for their physical being, if they say that they're a Trump supporter, Republican, a conservative, or anyone that thinks outside of that box, because the unloving and intolerant left, but they exist all over. And for me, that's my mission is to be a voice for them so they can point to someone and say, someone's saying things that we're too afraid to say, and maybe they'll get the courage to say it themselves. That's my goal. That's what I hope for. Now, Tommy, you are speaking about the left and courage and facing off against people. Uh, You're going toe-to-toe with none other than Chelsea Handler uh, coming up here at Politicon. Tell everybody about this. Well, I'm really excited because finally I get to debate someone that's just a middle-aged white woman, so she can't really pull any cards on me. I'm I'm really excited about it because she can't pull. You know, I'm a woman as well. We're both white. So it's nice to at least feel like maybe we'll have an even playing field, but for me, I like to take on a challenge. I like to have the conversation. I'm not sure exactly what she's going to want to talk about. I have a feeling it's not going to be like in-depth foreign policy, but you never know. Maybe she'll surprise me. I just think it's good to have conservatives that are out there that are willing to go out against the alt-left and go against these Hollywood liberals because they so for so long they go unchallenged. What are the and three areas, Tommy, two or three, give me two or three, that if you were able to set the agenda for this debate, remember, Tommy Lahren is squaring off against Chelsea Handler at Politicon uh, July 29 to 30th, which is in Pasadena, California. I, I assume they're going to live stream it uh, too, right, Tommy? They usually do. Of course. Yeah, it'll be live stream, so you can all watch this live as it happens. And I highly recommend, I'm going to, I would say, popcorn, but I'm really more of a, of a milk and dark chocolate guy. But I will be watching this live stream, so I suggest you all do the same. But Tommy, if you got to set the agenda for the debate, and it was actually on substance, which we both know, she's probably going to say some nasty things to you, but I know you're going you're gonna to stand your ground and do your thing. Uh, but what would be the policy areas that you think would be most worthwhile for you to square off against a, a somewhat revered leftist female comedian? Well, first of all, my, my first question for her is going to be, I don't even understand why she's still here, because she was one of them that vowed to leave the country if President Trump was elected. So now we have a President Trump. She's still living here and reaping the benefits of being an American. So first question is, why the hell are you still here? 
And, and more than that, it's these leftists that they try to pull on the emotional heartstrings. And I've seen Chelsea Handler do this on a number of occasions. They like to talk about illegal immigration, they like to talk about how it's cruel to deport people. Well, I'd like to ask her a question, how our illegal immigrants feel about illegal immigrants that don't respect the rule of law. And then they line cut in front of them, giving a big F you to everyone that's come to this country legally. I'd like to ask her about that. I'd like to ask her if she'd like Syrian refugees to be her personal security, you know, military age men. I'd ask her why we don't have them, you know, patrolling around her home and keeping her safe. Because these Hollywood liberals, they don't live in the world that you and I exist in. They live in a bubble. So all these things that they talk about, all these emotional pleas, they're baseless because they don't have to confront any of them. Tommy, I know you've given us a lot of time. I just have one more for you before we let you get back to everything you got to do uh, uh, across the country here, talking to people about every all this stuff. Um, Trump, Trump administration, Trump agenda. Are you worried or, or, or is this just part of the storm? I'm not worried. You know, I think he's done some great things. Of course, the mainstream media is not going to highlight any of it, but he's done so much in such a short amount of time. We've got a lot of things left to do, and I'm hoping we can get back to an America First agenda. But I was really happy with G20. I was happy with how he performed. I was happy with his message. And I do think that this president wants to put America first, and it's about dang time. And I'm, I'm happy about it. I think good things to come. Uh, the one and only, the dynamo herself, my friend Tommy Laren, everybody. Tommy, great to have you come back anytime. Of course. See you soon, Buck. Talk to you soon. Team, we are going to hit a break. We'll be back right after. So I've got a little preview here of the uh, much-anticipated Sean Hannity uh, interview tonight. Uh, by the way, you know, Sean was one of uh, the, the guys early on in my career who uh, really gave me... Uh, Gave me a shot by letting me fill in for him on radio, and uh, in fact, that went so well, and Sean's team was so supportive of my efforts uh, standing in for him on radio that uh, Russia's team then picked me up, which was which was great, but uh, that was only because Sean and his people gave uh, gave Russia and the folks over there the, the thumbs up. So just as an aside, some, you know, you, you got to be... You got to be grateful in this business to the people who do things like that for you, and so I just—and it's also for the purpose of full disclosure. So when I talk about Hannity, understand that I—I I appreciate that he let me fill in on his show, and and I—I uh, I, I like Sean. Um, he's got an interview tonight with Donald Trump Jr. and he uh, here's here's what's said. This is on FoxNews.com, so clearly they're they're giving a preview here. Donald Trump Jr. acknowledged in an exclusive interview with Fox News Hannity that he, quote, probably would have done things a little differently when he met with the Russian attorney during his father's presidential campaign in June of 2016. However, the president's eldest son also described the meeting as a nothing, telling uh, Fox News' Sean Hannity, quote, I wouldn't have even remembered it until you started scouring through this stuff. It was literally just a wasted 20 minutes which was a shame. So I just, before anyone calls in and yells at me and says that I'm, uh, I'm I think of, I once, once a gentleman said I was, I was waffling or something. Um, and we got Donald Trump Jr. himself saying, yeah, this was not, I did not handle this aspect of it the way I would have in retrospect. Right? I, I did, this is, uh, this was not, the public relations management here was somewhat lacking. So don't, you know, I, like I said, I, I tell you what I think is the truth here. And I, I think now everybody can understand or everyone can, can agree who's being uh, fair minded about it that, you know, that Donald Trump Jr. here had a little, little made a little mistake um, by coming out and talking, saying that this was about adoption and 
And, you know, would he have remembered this meeting? Well, it was a year ago, and it's... How often, given all the attention on now, look, I'm not saying that I'm not saying that Donald Trump Jr. is being dishonest here, but this is how the media, this is how it's going to be spun by the other side, and let's just prepare for that. How often do you have someone set up with a meeting uh, to give you information like this who happens to be Russian, and then you have this whole situation where the media is running these stories on Russia for so many months? I mean, you know, this this never this would have. I don't know. But he says he would have done it a little differently. So he at least he's he's saying that. Um I met Donnie Jr. actually a very long time ago. He's a, he's a nice guy. Uh Bobby in you know, I met I met some of the Trumps before they were a political family. So because uh, I grew up here in the city. Uh Bobby in North Carolina on WPTI. You got thoughts on this, or actually you got thoughts on something else, but whatever you want. What's up? Hey, I want to make a comment on the lady who was speaking about the snowflakes, and you asked her why. Tom, Tommy Laren, sir, the one and only. Yes, yes. Uh, I think uh, she's dead on for one, but I, I honestly think that these kids, they go to school, they get to college the first year, and they think they're the greatest thing that ever hit the campus, and they find out that they're average. And they look at what their grandparents done and how – how everybody looks up to them for protesting for civil rights and other issues of the day in the 60s, and they want to be that person because they're average. They've been given everything in life. They've been told they're not a failure, they're the greatest thing that ever was, and they get in real life and they figure out, hey, you know, I'm not the greatest. I'm just one of the guys that are average. You know, girl, you know, I think they do these things for uh, uh, to make themselves feel better about themselves. You think uh, that's what drives I, them to do all the the protesting, the marching, the, the the holding up of the signs, and the wearing the the profane hats and all that stuff? You think it's a a kind of um, uh, self elevation, or it's a it's yeah, an ego it's an ego trip? Complex. I think is what is that is that what you're that seems to be what you're getting at. Yeah, uh, because they haven't done what they thought they were going to do. They didn't change the world. They didn't even change their community. They fell in right in place with everybody else, and they can't stand it. Yeah. Because they think that they deserve to be better than average. Yeah, and Bob, they're not. I know, you know, Bob, Bobby, it's it's a hard thing. It's part of growing up. I've had to deal with it in recent years, too, when, when you or part of being mature, uh, regardless of, of your age, is is, ex- is understanding your limitations, working to make them better and having a, a, a true sense of, of humility that comes from a the recognition that that most of us are are uh, we reach a point where we're not as not as exceptional or not as great as we as we'd like to think, but that's okay actually. As, you know, as long as you embrace yeah, that and understand it, and it makes one humble, I think it's a, I think it can be a good thing. Yeah, it can be. But see, they were never taught that lesson of what it meant to lose. They've always been told, "Oh, you're a winner." Well, you played the game. Here's your participation trophy. We didn't win, but you're a winner. Yeah, I know. And everyone wins. I hear what you're saying, Bobby. That, that that they're detached from reality. They're really delusional. And the everyone everyone is a winner philosophy is a delusional philosophy because, of course, it's not true. Shields, hi, Bobby. Thank you for calling in. I also would just note on the activism of the snowflake uh, of the snowflake brigades uh, out there. 
the activism is, is generally speaking, activism is cheap. It's easy. You know, showing up uh, to what's effectively a mobile party when everyone's, you know, marching around, dancing and singing and, you know, they're, uh, you, every, you know, keep in mind, everyone now takes photos and selfies and videos. So they're they're getting credit from their friend group from it. So it's not just... Uh, it's not just like they show up to, you know, this is the equivalent of it's one thing to and and I think this is a wonderful thing, by the way, but I'm just, it's, it would be one thing to show up at, at a soup kitchen every weekend to help the less fortunate, which is a wonderful thing. But it's one thing to do that. It's another thing to show up to the soup kitchen once and take like 50 selfies and make sure there are some unfortunate looking individuals, you know, right behind you. She's like, look at me. I'm sorry. And maybe take a video of you like you know, ladling out the soup and everything. You know, at some point it becomes a, an effort in personal branding, which I think is what a lot of this activism is really about, especially in the, in the social media age and with these millennials and everything. Sure, some of them are really crazed and, you know, Trump is Hitler and he's going to destroy America and any anything we can do to stand in the way of this fascist, you know, blah, 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 whatever. That's that's an element that's out there. But I think for most of the protesters, most of the people who are marching in these different uh, well, the March for Science, the March for we, we talked about this before with with Tommy and I've, I've I like to continue to update us on these uh, during uh, the course of the show because it is indicative of this mindset. But most activism is cheap. It's easy. It's a time for selfies. It's a time for look at me, look at me. I'm attaching myself to a supposedly noble progressive cause. Um, you know, the, 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 real, the real heroes aren't running around everywhere live streaming their, their once a year march for something. Um, but I digress. Uh, that doesn't mean that all activists, you know, I'm, marches once in a while are good. I'm not, I'm not putting it down. I'm just saying that it, when it becomes what we see here with a lot of these progressive causes, it does feel more like the mobile party, the selfie opportunity. And these are people that just want all their friends to think they're cool. We'll be right back. He's back with you now, because when it comes to the fight for truth, the buck never stops. Looks like the Senate might have to do a little work, everybody. That's the latest I'm seeing here. Uh, you have the possibility of, well, we know the recess. The recess has been delayed. Uh, here's uh, CNN. I know you're all like, boo. CNN reporting, Senate Majority Leader Mitch McConnell has delayed the start of the August Senate recess until the third week in August in order to allow more time for his conference to complete its work on health care reform, among other tasks. Yeah, that's right. Get something done, Senate. And here is what uh, Senator Cruz, whom uh, I used to be, I remember I used to be Chiron at CNN as Cruz supporter, Buck Sexton. And I was like, all right, let's like, Let's tone it down a little bit. I mean, you know, I have my own ideas and principles and stuff. We don't need to be a cruise supporter, Buck Sexton. Um, but, yeah, that was how they they, they made you uh, take a early on. You had, to, you had to state who you were supporting in the primary. Not if you were a Democrat, though, necessarily. No, you could just get to be a Democrat. You didn't have to be like, I'm a Bernie supporter, although some people did. 
but uh, crew supporters out there had to get stamped on TV. Cruz supporter, which I was fine with, but anyway, I digress. Uh, Ted Cruz talking about the August recess. It's crazy that we'd be taking a recess. There, there are a bunch of us, myself included, that have been urging leadership back from January. Let's not take any recesses. Let's work. Let's work every day. Let's work weekends. Let's work till we get the job done. You know, isn't it kind of funny that this is a surprise from from politicians or this is like, oh look at this everybody the politicians are deciding that they're going to pull some all-nighters or something i mean you know i i want to i want to introduce the senators to like my my brother who who works in in banking here in new york who's just you know works incredibly hard incredibly long hours all of his colleagues do too i mean there are a lot of people out there that work really long hours Senators are not among them, all right? Senators do not work uh, the way that the American people tend to work. I know they're, oh, it's really tough. There's a lot of fundraising. Okay, well, there's that. They do do a lot of, of fundraising. So, you know, that's one part of this. But they made promises. They made promises about... Uh, what the American people should ex- uh, what the American people could expect from all of these processes once we had given them power and once we had uh, decided that it was in fact uh, going to be the Republicans who had the majority in the House and the Senate repeal it in place that was the promise and GOP leader McCarthy has been pointing that out we made this promise there is no excuse. Every member that has served here prior has voted on repealing Obamacare and made the promise that we would actually improve. Give a lower the cost of premiums, the quality of care. 41% of every county only has one provider. What more do individuals need to understand right. that they need to move this bill forward? Amen. I mean, I, I, it's, it's really somewhat uh, amazing that we're even at this point where there's well, they're going to go off into recess. Could you imagine being a senator or a member of the House? You're going to face you're going to face constituents in a town hall, and they're going to say, "Okay, whatever happened to repeal into place?" Says, well, um, it's very complicated. You see, reconciliation only allows for so much of Obamacare to be, you know, no way, not gonna fly. Uh, not a, not an acceptable response on all of that. So. You know, this is this is I I think good to see some pressure here. Uh, keep in mind that even if the Senate does come up with a a new bill, which they've had a lot of time, can I just put this out there? Don't you th- don't you think? And now I've never worked in, on Capitol Hill, so it's kind of like when people ask me about what what's it like to work in the intelligence community, and I always joke around that you know you you're like the real intelligence community is like somewhere else you know like hidden hidden under hinder hidden under an ocean on some other planet you know that's doing all the real work uh because there's a lot of bureaucracy and everything else um with the congress i i would like to think that given they have all these people all these staffs and different le- legislative aides and I, I don't know what the different titles are cuz i haven't worked in congress but you know i lived in dc i picked up i picked up some of the jargon down in dc uh, I know the optics, uh, but you'd think that they have like multiple versions of this. I, w- I would like to believe that the Senate GOP has off the shelf a whole bunch of different versions of just amazing uh, 
Milton Friedman approved free market-based health care plans that are going to transform our care. And, you know, we had that expert on yesterday from the Hoover Institution is talking about market-based, and I totally agree with him. He's saying there needs to be cheaper care. You need to go to the doctor, and the doctor needs to be competing on price with other doctors, and also you need to care about the dollars you're spending at the doctor. These are market signals. These have to be in place. If they're not, you're just subject to the whims of the federal bureaucracy and the uh, different sway or, or the different um, movements of public opinion and, and the political class that feeds off of it. You don't actually have control of your own health care destiny. This is the major flaw in, well, Obamacare. And let's just be honest about it. There's a lot of the health care system already that has a tremendous amount of government influence and, and you could say interference. Uh, I think interference is a more accurate term in many in many instances. Uh, but, you know, these members of the House and the Senate, I, I want to believe that they have all they have these different plans that are there and they're just picking out, OK, option A is not working. Let's go with option B. Option B is not, not working. We go to option C. If that's not true, what, what do they do all the time? Just hanging out in these offices, you know, making phone calls, trying to raise more cash. I think actually they do spend a lot of time doing that. But it's it's uh, it's not confidence inspiring. We could say that much. It's not ex- it's not a particularly exciting situation for Republicans to see that here we are, especially after suffering through years of a Nancy Pelosi dominated Democrat uh, majority. In the Congress and, and you know, then having to deal with Harry Reid as the Senate majority leader. And, you know, finally, the pendulum has swung back to the other side and we get what? Look, every, it's July. I, yeah. I was like, wait, did I get the month wrong? I do. You know, once I uh, when I was when I was actually filling in for Rush Limbaugh and some of you listening may recall this if you heard those those fill-ins. Um, it was. New, it was uh, New Year's Eve, I believe. It was the day before New Year's Eve, and I said, "I was like, I was like, hey, welcome to Rush Limbaugh show. Uh, it's Christmas Eve, everyone." I just like completely, first, out of the gate. It wasn't my first time, thankfully, but just out of the gate, just you know, wah wah. And the and the staff, the guys that were laughing, they're like, "Buck, you know, look at your calendar." And I was like, "Oh no, no, no. I mean, yeah, of course." Um, but Christmas Eve day, I guess. I mean, see, I just did it again. New Year's Eve day is what would have been the proper way to uh, to describe it. Um, why? What was I? Oh yeah, with the healthcare thing. We're ta- we're talking about the healthcare thing here. Uh, they they don't have this. They don't have this ready to go. And uh, it's been now how many months since the administration took office? How many months since the Republican majority has? been sitting around trying to get something through at some point we may have to come to grips with the reality that this is a reflection of the dissonance in americans own view the american people's view of how what healthcare should be what our healthcare system should be uh, you, you can't have the government in control of it without the government in control of you and until everyone understands that we, we're we're not we're not going to really get anywhere you can't have the government picking up the bills without the government having the say-so. You can't have the government determining the level of care and what's an acceptable plan, meaning what's acceptable coverage for you, which is the same thing as saying, really, in many instances, care, uh, without ceding a lot of your autonomy, a lot of your decision-making over health care to some other third party. 
And, you know, the here's the, the difference. You can either allow the you can either have the insurance companies competing and dollars speaking for you in that sense. Uh, or, or you can just hope that the federal government will listen to you and that you will have enough. I don't know. You'll, you know, you'll petition your congressman or something and they'll, you know, it's just not going to work that way. Right. We all know that. So I, I wonder what this final bill will look like. It's not going to be great. It will be better. So I also I don't want to be somebody that is always putting down improvements instead of perfection. Improvement is good. It's certainly better than the alternative. And the bill that the Senate, if the if the Senate comes up with a bill and passes a bill, big ifs, by the way, uh, if that happens, um then you have to go into a conference and they have to deal with the the house bill and they'll hammer something out uh but this is all also a a precondition this is supposed to be a preliminary step for the rest of the trump agenda on things like the national defense authorization act uh and uh taxes uh so you know there's and then I, I suppose immigration might be dealt with at some point by this uh, by this Congress, but you know, let's not get let's not get too crazy. Uh, no willingness really to deal with spending, but I I think that we're just we've accepted now as a country for now. I mean, this may change. I mean, I remember when the Tea Party was the most formidable, the most formidable uh, political movement in America, and and formidable in all the best ways. L- large numbers of peaceful people coming together. Uh, steeped in constitutional principles and uh, ad- adhering to all the best norms of conduct and political discourse in order to bring about necessary and valuable change. Uh, we may get back there at some point, but for right now, I, I think we have accepted that we're just going to spend ourselves into oblivion as a country. I don't hear a- I don't hear anyone making the case right now, really. I mean, maybe Senator Rand Paul sometimes. I don't hear anyone making the case about how 20 trillion, everybody, 20 trillion in debt. I mean, 19 trillion and a whole lot of billions, but we're 20 trillion in debt. Um, And we just we like we like the government paying for stuff much more than we should. Uh, We need to break this cycle. And unfortunately, I think the only way it gets broken is if something happens first. And it is not going to be fun, whatever it is. And I don't know. People are saying the Fed's unwinding its balance sheet a little bit. There's you know, some economic change that's supposed to be happening kind of quietly, but could have major implications and impacts uh, that we can't yet ascertain. It's a fancy way of saying, who knows what the heck's going to happen here? Who knows? Um, but health care, yeah. They better, they better not go on vacation without a health care bill because then we really do have to ask the question, what do these bums do exactly? Uh, what is the purpose of what is the purpose of the GOP led Senate if they can't even pass a health care bill? I don't think they'd have a good answer for that question if if it was posed to them. So there we have it. Uh, eight four four nine hundred buck. That's eight four four nine hundred two eight two five. Much more coming, uh, team. I'll do a buck brief on the liberation of Mosul from the Islamic State in the next hour, as well as uh, we'll talk to our friend Emily Zanati about some of the latest headlines in the world of pop culture and uh, politics. And we got much more. Stay with me. That uh, Vice President Mike Pence has well, I, I don't. I'm not sure that the way this is being portrayed in the media is totally accurate. So here, here's what Pence said. Uh, he, they're saying that, and well, this is from a this is from a conservative outlet. It's from the Daily Caller. So I, I I don't think they're trying to misrepresent it or anything. I just I'm not sure that I see this exactly the same way. Um. 
But Pence's press secretary said that, well, said the following, quote, the vice president is working every day to advance the president's agenda, which is what the American people sent us here to do. The vice president was not aware of the meeting, referring to the meeting between Trump Jr., Man- or I guess, uh, yeah, Donnie Trump Jr., Manafort, the campaign manager, and Jared Kushner, the son-in-law. Uh, president, Pe- I'm sorry, whoa, Freudian. Vice President Pence uh, was not aware of the meeting. He is not focused on stories about the campaign, particularly stories before he joined the ticket. So Pence's people are saying, look, Pence and Pence didn't know anything about this. Uh, is that distancing or is that just stating a fact? I, I think you can come to your own uh, conclusions about that one. But uh, this is not this is not going away anytime, anytime soon. Not if not if morning Joe is on the case. Let's hear what Joe has to say. 20. How stupid of Don Jr. Stupid. I mean, I guess it runs in the family to go on Twitter when he is clearly in legal jeopardy. This time yesterday morning, everybody knew he was clearly in legal jeopardy. He was clearly in legal jeopardy. I, I don't think he's clearly in legal jeopardy based on what? I actually just saw an analysis from uh, Alan Dershowitz up on Fox News. Um who was saying, look, unless there's conspiracy to commit a specific criminal act, uh, then, you know, there's no, that, that doesn't, it doesn't work, right? I mean, there, there's not a, and the information that would come from a hack is not criminal. In, you know, that it, it, if you have information that's out there that someone gives you from a hack that you weren't a part of, that's, you're not a criminal, um, if you maybe tried to sell that information or something, well, yeah, I, I think then you, you know, it's, then you could be trafficking in stolen goods or something. But if you just have information, you're not a criminal. You haven't, well, I shouldn't say you're not a criminal. You haven't committed a crime uh, because it would be impossible to really draw the, draw the lines, the boundaries, the distinctions here of what would be uh, criminal conduct versus what was just finding out stuff. Uh, and in, in an increasingly information dominated era, we need to be very careful about the government's ability and, you know, when we all have our thoughts and, and our, um, our, our day-to-day actions cataloged and, yes, uh, kept indefinitely, uh, we need to make sure that the government has very narrow and clear and strictly defined uh, statutes for what constitutes criminal behavior, right? It's sort of a, another version of the uh, – when Trump said, I hope you can find your way – I hope you can see your way clear. I, I forget the exact wording, but when he was talking to – Mueller on Flynn, you know, that's not that's not criminal obstruction. You know, I look, I, I hope this can be, a, you know, the same way when we had Andy McCarthy on, the former federal prosecutor said, Andy, if someone's trying to do a drug, if someone's trying to get me to buy drugs from them on the street and and I just want them to leave me alone. And I say, look, man, I wish I wish I you know, and they say, hey, man, you want to buy some drugs? I say, look, I, I wish I could help you, but I got to, you know, I, I got to get home to my wife, which you know, I'm not married, but you know what I'm saying, right? In, in this in this scenario, I'm trying to make it trying to make it believable um saying you know I, I wish i wish i could help you out i mean you're not saying yeah like i, I i'm running a drug running I, i'm running a drug operation with you now so please arrest me right i mean that's uh, you know you're, you're not a party to that conspiracy you're just speaking and trying to get away you haven't taken a criminal step there's no criminal intent and i i worry because people have really tossed uh, aside the, the notion of criminal intent mens rea as it is uh, referred to a criminal state of mind or the state of mind when you commit a criminal act and it's an essential part of 
federal criminal law. I mean, we lose that, and, and the Democrats can criminalize anything. Understand? Just so always remember that. And strict liability is uh, uh, should be very limited in terms of the federal statutes that apply criminal strict liability, meaning if you do something, no matter what, no matter what the circumstances are, really, you are criminally liable for it. I know with Hillary in the email, people say, well, there was, you know, didn't need to have intent. Okay, but there's a recklessness standard. There is a standard. It's not just if you do, right? So it's not just, oh, someone sent an email and there was something in it that was classified that they didn't know about at the time. Therefore, they should go to prison because that's reckless. No, there's a recklessness standard, which I think Hillary met. But you need to have either intent or recklessness for someone to be justly prosecuted for a crime. And this is all a roundabout way of me saying I don't see any crime attached to the meeting, even even the possibility of a crime from the meeting with the Russian lawyer. And so that's a lot of uh, exaggeration and hyperbole from the media, but that's not going to stop them. The Freedom Hut rocks online, too. You can hang out with Team Buck anytime. Plus, get Buck's latest news and analysis. Go to BuckSexton.com. That's BuckSexton.com. I am not entertained! The Buck is back. How did I miss Congressional Sleeve Gate for Women, or whatever we're going to call it? I don't know. You, you may have seen this. Getting a lot of attention. Uh, so, I, I didn't know this. Because, again, I'm, I'm not a Congress guy. I'm a, I'm a former intelligence community guy, which has its own, you know, codes of conduct and uh, an office place decorum and all that. Um, but I didn't realize that Congress had uh, a dress code for women that you have to wear a, a sleeve, a dress with sleeves. Now, how strictly enforced is this? Well, of course, like a lot of dress codes. It depends. You know, I, as an aside here, I'll tell you, I was at a an event in New York City and at a well-known, it was, a, it was an event raising money for the families of uh, fallen special operations soldiers. So the, the just, it's like emergency funds. If you're wounded or killed in action from the special operations community, this group comes in and helps the family with whatever expenses are and whatever they can do, uh, you know, right away. There's not, they don't wait. They just go and they help. Uh, so we were raising, we're raising money at, at this event and the, uh, the keynote speaker for the event, uh, was, uh, Nick Irving, who is the author of a book called the, the Reaper. And he was a, uh, an army ranger, Sniper, and his book is is a really a really good read. And I heard him tell his story about an extended firefight in Afghanistan, and I mean it is gripping. He went on for I will say that the two store the two keynote speakers I've heard it was for the Red Circle Foundation was the name of the organization, which is Brandon Webb's charitable foundation. Brandon Webb, of course, good friend of mine and a former Navy SEAL sniper. The two speakers that I have uh, heard uh, are Chris Peranto. Um, and uh, Nick Irving, both telling their stories about you know their about incidents they went through, and of course, if you've seen Thirteen Hours, you, you know all about uh, what Chris what Chris went through. Um, very good movie, by the way. I think I did, does I spoke to some people on Fourth of July weekend who uh, are usually really up on things, and and unlike a lot of the 
leftist commies I know here in New York City that actually like love freedom America and those who fight for it and uh, they they hadn't seen 13 hours you guys you guys have got to watch that movie um, so anyway Nick Irving though it was he was given a great uh, he gave a fantastic keynote address we'll have him on the show at some point I'm sure again soon I've had him on before to talk about his books his books are excellent it's uh, Reaper and the Reaper and the way of the Reaper about his time as a sniper and also this the skills the discipline and the knowledge one acquires from being an elite special forces or he wasn't sf but an elite special operations pardon me sniper. some of the sf guys are like buck like i know i know i'm sorry i'm sorry like i was never in the military i just try to learn as much about it as i can as a uh, as a civilian analyst you know writing terrorizing the enemy with my memos and my my uh tight analysis so uh nick oh okay on the dress code thing that's how i got on this address code so uh nick was um, he was, uh, he showed up to a, a club that has a very strict jacket and tie policy. And that's where the event was. And keep in mind that there was a, this, it wasn't the same club, but I remember Hillary Clinton famously, I think when she was a sitting Senator used a cell phone in one of these clubs, it was the university club in New York city. And they were like, excuse me, uh, you know, Madam Senator or whatever they call her, you know, Senator, Senator, Madam Senator, sorry, Senator Clinton. Uh, could you step outside? They made her leave the lobby because no cell phones allowed. Uh, and this other place has a very strict jacket and tie policy. And I always remember uh, Nick uh, Irving showing up to get the keynote speech for whatever, 150 people at this event. And uh, he sh- he was wearing a short sleeve shirt, no tie, no jacket. And I was just like, ha, 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 ha. And, and then I was like, ah, yes. Decorated, uh, decorated, Army Ranger, sniper, keynote address, no dress code. Uh, he shows up however he wants. <laughs> so that was that was the first time that I had ever, and, and I've known that this is a very old and established, uh, it's an athletic club here in New York City. Um, you know, I, I, I've, I've never seen that happen. I can tell you, I've never seen that happen before. But under the circumstances, I'm like, yeah, they're going to, they let Nick through and, and that was the right move. I uh, didn't even make him put on like a clip-on tie or anything like that. Just go, go ahead, sir. Thank you for your service. It's like well done, uh, security in the lobby. Well done. That was the proper move. Uh, so back to the dress code in Congress and how the Democrats are saying this is Paul Ryan's fault. That this is this is somehow all on, all on Paul Ryan. Um, I think that. Um, I think that the. Funny, well, watching this, of course, you, you hear a lot of talk about the handmaid, the Handmaid's Tale, which uh, the girlfriend, Miss Molly, uh, my girlfriend, she, she, we watched a little bit of it. I, I just thought it was kind of boring, but I think I might be forced for research purposes, kind of like when I turn on MSNBC and I'm just like, oh my gosh, what is this? I think I might have to watch the Handmaid's Tale. Um, because it's it's a reference now. Anytime someone's engaged in the uh, in the mansplaining or the patriarch patriarchy or anything like that, anytime that stuff is going on, uh, people will refer to the Handmaid's Tale. Now, the, the left loves to get right into the the Handmaid's Tale, which is a dystopian. Uh, it's like women are oppressed. Uh, it's like a Christian fascist society. I, I don't. I don't. I haven't. I've only seen one episode, and I'm not that up on it. But of course, when the when a story this this is the story that kicked all this off. Uh, a female reporter 
on the or in the Congress had to she was kicked out of the House Speaker's lobby in the U.S. Capitol building. I guess this was last late last week because she was wearing a sleeveless dress. And, you know, this is coming right away. It's. Oh, my gosh, it's the handmaid's tale. No. I mean, everyone's all freaked out because, you know, now now we're in a in a Christian, a, a fascistic Christian theocracy that, by the way, you haven't seen a lot of, would they make a movie about, I don't know, a different, very large faith tradition taking over America in a fascistic fashion and oppressing women? I'm just going to put this out there. I don't think so. You can call me crazy. But I doubt another very large world religion with a lot of adherence would ever be the subject of a dystopian uh, fictional future TV series that's about uh, theocracy, oppression, uh, uh, male oppression of females, and uh, women being treated as sex slaves. Um, I I don't think you would ever—I just don't think that show would ever get made for whatever reason. You can figure out which, you know, what other religions we might be uh, or other religion might be referring to. But the point here is let's get back to the House Speaker's lobby and this this reporter who was put she was uh, asked to leave. She ripped pages out of a notebook and then stuffed them into her dress in order to create sleeves, but to no avail. It was she was this was an unsuccessful uh, an unsuccessful effort. So uh, they still asked her to leave, and so everyone was saying, oh, yeah, The Handmaid's Tale, for those of you who are, are Hulu subscribers, it's a Hulu show, which I don't actually subscribe to Hulu. I should probably check that out. Um, and so then it was an opportunity for, oh, Chelsea Handler, who we talked about earlier in the show, because she'll be debating uh, Tommy Lahren at Politicon. Chelsea Handler uh, has said that Paul Ryan enforced, or she tweeted, uh, Paul Ryan enforcing dress code in Speaker's Lobby in the U.S. Capitol that bans women from showing their shoulders. Welcome to Abu Dhabi. <laughs> First of all, interesting choice, Abu Dhabi. I mean, I would go with Saudi Arabia over uh, over Abu Dhabi, but um, she went with Abu Dhabi. Uh, you know, look, she she's a she's a comedian. She's she's joking, I guess. I would think we got to give her. You got to give comedians the leeway to make jokes, and she's making a joke. Whether you think it's funny or not, that's up to you. But. Uh, then you also had um, at Margaret Atwood. Here, this is from the Washington Examiner. After news of the dress code spread last week, feminists compared it to the draconian laws enforced in Gilead, the fictional society of Atwood's 1985 novel, The Handmaid's Tale, which was recently adapted into a television series. In Gilead, women are forced into sex slavery to bear the children of government officials and forbidden from reading or owning property. Uh, and then, nevertheless, Atwood joined the conversation on Monday night, drawing that same disproportionate parallel between her own fictional, oh my gosh, I don't even know this, between her own fictional universe and the speaker's lobby. Quote, is Paul Ryan scared of shoulders? The Republican dress code is straight out of hashtag the handmaid's tale. Oh, yeah, she went there. Okay, if we want to give her the, the benefit of the doubt here, what we could say about Ms. Atwood is it is a shameless, a shameless plug of her show via a news item and that she just was cynically exploiting the moment to get some free press for her show. 
you know what? I'm very free market. If uh, if that's what she's doing here, I I disagree. I think it's dishonest, but she's allowed. She's allowed. But we do have to take at least somewhat seriously the possibility that the author of The Handmaid's Tale, which is, the again, the dystopian men oppressing women, making them sex slaves, government bureaucracy, Christian theocracy, all that stuff. The author of that is someone who also buys into the notion that the Republicans are part of a war against women and that you could say that this dress code uh, ban, well, ban is a bit strong, isn't it? But here we are, that this dress code uh, is part of the Republican war on women. I know that's a silly and preposterous, ridiculous thing to say, and yet it has caught on. There's a lot of hashtagging and social media back and forth over this. Here's the problem. I know some of you, as I've been talking about this the whole time, are like, when are you going to get to it, Buck? I'm, 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 I'm keeping people in suspense. I want I want them to, I got to pull them through this segment. I can't just, I can't just show them, you know, I can't just give them the warm chocolate chip cookies at the beginning or, you know, what are you going to hang out for, right? Here's the problem with all the social media outrage over this and, and people tweeting out that this is, uh, the Handmaid's Tale made real, which I, I should note that in Trump's America, any anything that they can do to create some narrative about female oppression of women and how Trump is at the, you know, they they run with that, right? They love that, and the Handmaid's Tale is very, uh, very much capturing the feminist uh, pop culture zeitgeist right now. Right? They're like, oh, Trump's oppression of women, a timely show for Trump's oppression of women problem with all this is that the dress code predates Paul Ryan and Trump. Maybe the even bigger problem with this is that the House Speaker, when the House Speaker was Nancy Pelosi, who's like a really far left-wing Democrat, yeah, they also had a little dress code action in effect where women, you guessed it, had to wear sleeves. It is just what a crazy world we live in, folks. Uh, you know, C- CBS was running reporting on this. I mean, this was not. Keep in mind, this was not some little nothing story. I mean, this this got some real attention, um, and uh, it just goes along with you know the the New York Times published an essay back in March about the author of The Handmaid's Tale and her writing what The Handmaid's Tale means in the age of Trump. So, again, all part of the narrative. War on women, The Handmaid's Tale was the pop culture reference for this, and they decided to run with this narrative about how Paul Ryan is like the, you know, is like the American Taliban when it comes to women's dress codes. But, yes, there there is, in fact, a difference between, hey, can you wear sleeves in uh, one part of a government building in the United States if you're a lady and... Everyone has to wear a burqa or else, right? We, we can make these distinctions, I hope. I know you can and I can, but a lot of people in the media seem to have some difficulty with it. Uh, we are going to chat with our friend uh, Emily Zanotti from Heat Street coming up here in a few minutes, and then I will close out the show with a buck brief on national security and the taking of Mosul by Iraqi forces. We'll be right back. All right, everybody, it is that time, Zanotti time. We find out who's been Zanotti and who's been nice. Emily Zanotti is with us now from Heat Street, where she is the political editor. Ms. Zanotti, good to have you. Good to be here. 
Uh, Congress moves to save America from growing threat of snortable chocolate. Let me tell you, as a something of a chocoholic, I read this and I was like, hmm, I mean, it's it's legal, right? What's going on here? Right. So it is legal. It's basically just cocoa powder, but it's in a particular format that you can snort up your nose, I guess. It's really big in Europe. It's just starting to hit right here across the pond, and there's one company in Florida who's manufactured it. But just in case you were thinking of trying it out, Congress has already decided that not healthcare, not tax reform, snortable chocolate will be its priority this this term. And Chuck Schumer just issued a very nasty letter to the FDA imploring them to please, 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 please look into making snortable chocolate illegal. Wow, it kind of reminds me of when Congress decided to spend some time on the whole steroid use in baseball issue. Because right. I mean, that's really keeping me up late at night. I, I think that Congress sometimes do because their their approval ratings are so low and they get so little of substance done that they need to uh, tilt at windmills, so to speak. They need they need to find fake dragons to slay, like the snortable chocolate menace. <laughs> yeah, actually, this is the the heir to the disposable dishwasher pods that looked like candy. So just a couple of months ago, Chuck Schumer was after like Tide and uh, a bunch of other manufacturers of these plastic pods that you put in your dishwasher and in your clothing washer. And apparently children were ingesting them and dying in mass numbers. It never really took off. But this is now Chuck Schumer's newest crusade. Make sure that the youth are not being corrupted by snortable chocolate. I, I, I love chocolate so much. I read a book on chocolate that I recommend to everybody called uh, Chocolate, A Bittersweet Saga of Light and Dark by Mort Rosenblum. If you're somebody who gets really psyched about your uh, Venezuelan-sourced cacao beans and, and a 70 percent uh, 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 bar of chocolate, uh, I, I highly recommend you check out that book. See, I, I, I nerd out to the nice. chocolate, Zanotti. I like to think of myself as a chocolate wonk. I eat chocolate every day. In fact, my girlfriend knows that I have to keep bars of chocolate wherever I go or else, you know, I get irritable. I have to actually, like, hide mine. I have chocolate that's mixed with sea salt and chili. I like it mixed with something. And I have to have my private chocolate stash so no one else eats it. You know, it. that's how that's how the Incas um, – oh, no, I'm sorry, the Aztecs – pardon me. Whoa, microaggression. The Aztecs used to roll uh, when they would dr- – chocolate was drinkable and bitter originally. They would mix the cacao in with water and, they believe, chili. So that's, that's kicking it way old school to the Aztec time. It wasn't until the Europeans came along. They're like, oh, let's put sugar in this. Yeah, gross. <laughs> yeah, di- different stuff. Yeah, All right, enough about the chocolate. Sorry, everybody. I get excited, as you can tell. Uh, this is interesting. And by the way, we're speaking to Emily Zanotti. Check her out on Twitter, E.M. Zanotti. Uh, your baby gender reveal party is probably scarring your child, say, feminist. First of all, what's a gender reveal party? And second of all, why do feminists have to hate everything? <laughs> well, I think that's just in their nature. Like, they have to hate everything. Otherwise, they have no purpose for living. But so gender reveal parties are this newest trend where pregnant women have a party after their baby shower to reveal to family and friends whether they're having a boy or a girl. Well, it turns out that while most feminists probably don't think unborn children are actually human beings, they are concerned that if you have a gender reveal party, you are shoehorning your child into either being a boy or a girl or one of the binary genders. So you're probably scarring your unborn baby for life by declaring that it's a boy or a girl and not letting it grow up 
and just choose one of the 38 genders that it's supposed to be. 38, everybody. That's that's a for real thing now. I, I have no. If somebody offered me, uh, if somebody offered me a million bitcoins, I'd have no. Which is a lot of money, by the way. I'd have no that's idea how to get, to get. Yeah, it is a lot of money. Everybody, em. Uh, oh, sorry, em. Your name's actually Emily. Pardon me. Your Twitter handle is taking over my brain. We got Emily Zanotti. We're gonna hit a break, and we're gonna come right back and talk to uh, Emily a bit more. Go to heatstreak.com for her latest writing, and uh, team will be right back. Team Buck, we are back with Emily Zanotti of Heat Street. Uh, Emily, you've got some great pieces up on HeatStreet.com. New Batman comic cast Cape Crusader as a villain to social justice-seeking Joker. What the what? (laughs) So Marvel has had complete failure in introducing social justice to comic books. So I guess DC decided that it was going to get in on the failure itself. Uh, there's a new arc in coming out in the Batman comics called Batman White Knight, which flips Batman and the Joker. In fact, the Joker is now cured of his insanity. He is a progressive activist in Gotham City, and his speeches about wage inequality, income inequality, Black Lives Matter, they've really started to spark the citizens of Gotham City. And so they've taken crime fighting into their own hands, and now the crime-fighting vigilante, Batman, is the bad guy. He's cast as the bad guy, at least in the first bit of the comics that we've seen. So it's a really interesting evolution for Batman and the Joker, but also kind of weird because they've decided that the Joker is going to actually lead lead the progressives to victory. So the, so the Joker is basically going to be out there yelling, whose streets are streets, <laughs> stuff <Yeah>. like that. <laughs> He's like he's like a makeup version of Bernie Sanders. Wow. And and Batman is going to go more the route of the Punisher, I suppose, who was always a vigilante operating outside the law and using the tactics right. that that the usual superhero would not. Sort of like the yeah, the extrajudicial superhero that operates outside the law, but perhaps a little more towards criminality than just being, you know, your typical run-of-the-mill crime fighter. So yeah, it's got kind of a Punisher vibe to it, a little bit of a, a little bit of a darker edge. Uh, Emily, since since you're the uh, you're the, my unofficial pop culture correspondent here in the Freedom Hut, and I need to impress my younger, cooler uh, girlfriend with my knowledge of all things going on. Uh, I, I'm told I was making jokes about how Spider-Man has now become like the Fast and the Furious franchise where they're just making so many movies that nobody even knows which movie we're talking about anymore. Someone uh, I've seen some people saying this is the best Spider-Man movie yet. Do you have an opinion? Have you heard the same thing? I have heard the same thing. Spider-Man has been kind of a dying franchise. They keep trying to revive it. They keep trying to cast new people a little bit younger Marvel really wanted to bring Spider-Man into the Marvel Universe in a big way, and I'm actually hearing, I have not seen it yet, I'll see it this weekend, but I'm actually hearing it's one of the best Marvel movies in a few years. Ah, that's, that's, actually, that's actually saying something. Um, okay, now let's make everybody sad again for a second. Hillary Clinton, <laughs> this up on Heat Street, we're talking to Emily Zanotti, politics editor over at Heat Street. Hillary Clinton won't give up, says she'll be campaigning for Dems in 2018. That's amazing! That's my Hillary impression, by the way. It is spot on, as we know. Uh, (laughs) The Hillary laugh. I like the cackle that you get from Hillary Clinton. Um, Yeah, so the Democrats are looking to inject some fresh new blood into their 2018 campaign. And they've decided that that means they're going to drag Hillary Clinton out of obscurity, pull her out of the woods near Chappaqua, 
course, are back on the campaign trail, along with Barack Obama. So if the Democrats had any new ideas about what was going to appeal to anybody, they definitely aren't putting them into practice for 2018. Yeah. Look, I'm honest about this. Obama is still a very effective brand for the Democrats, right? Barack Obama's uh, not just, I mean, obviously name recognition is one of the most famous people in the world, but his uh, his political potency is still very real. Hillary, I think at this point is, I I don't like to call somebody a loser because that's mean. But she's a two-time loser. Yeah, it's not just a two-time loser. I mean, she's just nothing now. I mean, if if the Democrats couldn't get her past Donald Trump, there's really nobody they could get her past. And she represents part of the Democratic Party that just isn't appealing to voters anymore. And yet they've decided they have to throw their clout in with Hillary Clinton. So it should be interesting to see if they get anything out of it, because it's basically going to be squeezing blood from a stone. Ah, Hillary. Um, so yeah, I know she's she's uh, she's never going away. That's what, that's really what my sadness is here. She's just never, um, no. never going away. We're never going to be Hillary free in America. It just, it'll just be Hillary forever. I think that's how I feel. And then when she's out, we'll get Chelsea. And then when Chelsea's out, we'll get Charlotte. So it's gonna uh, go forever. Oh my gosh. Um, all right, Emily, I think, uh, wait, do we have, no, I think we've got to, no, we do, we've got a minute. All right, we've got 60 seconds before they're going to run me into a break here. Uh, George Clooney is moving back to the U.S. because of security concerns. Give us the, the, the quick version of why we should care about Clooney's security. George Clooney, who is a very pro-immigrant, pro-refugee voice in Hollywood, has decided that he is not safe in England where there have been a couple of terrorist attacks, so... He's coming back to the United States where he is more protected than he is in Europe because the immigrants are actually taking over Europe. So, I just I always remember that scene in Entourage where Johnny Drama doesn't get the room he wants at the hotel at the Cannes Film Festival. And the snooty <laughs> French guy is like, oh, yes, Monsieur Clooney, film actor. <laughs> so that's how I think of him now all the time. Oh, man. Good, good times there. By the way, Game of Thrones this weekend. We'll talk to Emily about it next yes. week. Emily Zanotti of Heat Street, everybody. Thank you so much, Emily. Thanks for having me. Team hitting a break. We'll be right back with a buck brief. It's time for a buck brief. You are now entering the Freedom Hunt Tactical Operations Center. All sensitive programs must be kept strictly neat and clear. Team Buck is cleared. Roger that. And ready for the buck brief. So the Iraqi military, after eight months of very difficult fighting, has secured the city of Mosul. They have managed to take the largest Sunni Arab majority city in Iraq back from the Islamic State. The Islamic State was able to seize it uh, in June of 2014 in a matter of days. It took a number of years just to get into a place for the Iraqi government to be able to mount this operation, uh, used over 100,000 combined Iraqi security forces. There was U.S. assistance on the ground and in the sky, a very uh, formidable and essential air campaign as part of all this. And ISIS has lost its most important city. So this is clearly uh, something to mark as a milestone. Tough to say it should be celebrated when there's a recognition that there will still be a lot of uh, counterinsurgency operations 
in the days and weeks ahead. In fact, there are some who are already concerned about the possibility of there being an ISIS 2.0, which would really just be a return, in fact, to the Islamic State's origins. From its earliest days, the Islamic State was actually al-Qaeda in Iraq, which was a breakaway from overall al-Qaeda. It was a splinter faction led by Abu Musab al-Zarqawi, and it was a an insurgency. Uh, its main operations all were focused around trying to destabilize the Iraqi government, uh, kill as many American soldiers as possible, and just generally sow fear and uh, anarchy into the Iraqi into Iraqi society. So the uh, return of the Islamic State from being an entity that tries to hold and protect territory to being one that is merely in an insurgency, I shouldn't say merely because insurgencies can be uh, brutal and incredibly difficult to stamp out, but it is certainly less than a, uh, a an entity that can hold territory, and that's currently in the on the Iraqi side of the equation where we see pretty much the Islamic State left. I mean, there are some towns and villages that are still in uh, ISIS control, uh, Talafer, which is a city to the west, a smaller city to the west of Mosul on the way to the Syrian border. Also, Hawija, which is a city towards the uh, Syrian border in uh, Anbar province. So there are some places that are still under ISIS control, but there's not a major city with all of uh, the propaganda value, of course, that that has. But as there are official government celebrations and there was a holiday and and people are clearly uh, breathing a sigh of relief, I think relief more than celebration from everything that I'm seeing is is the most accurate description of what's going on. Uh, But with all of that happening, uh, we have to also take stock of what's gone on in Mosul itself. Eight months of fighting, almost nine, and there are entire sections of the city that have been flattened. Uh, There are neighborhoods of Mosul, particularly in the old city, which is on the west bank of the Tigris River. The Tigris River cuts down and bisects the city of Mosul. In fact, uh, Iraq, which is uh, known as the, the land of the two rivers, in the uh, previous reference to Al-Qaeda in the land of the two rivers, Al-Qaeda in Mesopotamia. Um, but the uh, the reality is that, and Al-Qaeda in Mesopotamia is, Tanzim Qaedat al-Jihad fi Balad al-Rafidan. My Arabic accent is probably terrible now. It's been years since I studied it. But it's Al-Qaeda in the land of the two rivers because of the Tigris and the Euphrates. Uh, the Tigris cuts down through Iraq from uh, from the sort of northwest corner. So the Tigris also runs right through Mosul. Mosul, an ancient city, by the way, that uh, has had a, a, an important role on the uh, spice route. And it's actually people talk about uh, muslin fabric as coming from Mosul. And that's where we get the term for that uh, particular kind of cotton. So muslin, the cotton comes from Mosul. So Mosul's an ancient city, and that al-Qaeda, I'm sorry, that the Islamic State was able to seize and hold it for so many years was an essential part of their propaganda and their message. But now looking at Mosul, there are whole uh, portions of the city that have been 
completely destroyed. The rebuilding process is going to be long, expensive, and difficult, and there are uh, psychological and emotional scars. I mean, there is real mass trauma that has affected this population, and there are already reports of uh, infiltrators or Islamic State fighters who are taking this moment in time as an opportunity to melt back into the general population. They merely shave their beards, change out of their uh, ISIS attire, uh, assuming they're dressed in all black and some paramilitary paramilitary paraphernalia. Uh, They are now just among the civilian population, and there are, of course, very real fears, because even if the Iraqi government is able to maintain some degree of stability and security in the city of Mosul itself, there will be uh, terrorist attacks. And there will also, I'm sure, uh, be attempts to undermine the government by going after anyone who is, uh, of course, part of the police. Anyone who works with the Iraqi government will be targeted by these insurgents. That's just ins- that's just insurgency 101. So it, it is a moment in time to uh, take a beat and to be um, to be thankful. I'm sure the Iraqi people of Mosul, all those who weren't supporting ISIS, which I always think was a small portion of the city, but not a completely inconsiderable one, uh, but those who were not aligned with the Islamic State are in uh, obviously much better shape now than they were beforehand. They're no longer living under a fascistic Islamic theocracy that... Uh, murders people, uh, and that is just a a death cult, uh, which is what the Islamic State at its core truly is. So taking uh, taking, uh, Mosul is is an important step. The Iraqi government is making very real progress against this enemy, and I, I do think it's worth noting that this is happening under the Trump administration, and you are not hearing much about the acceleration of the strategy in Iraq and Syria Uh, the willingness to delegate more authority to U.S. commanders in theater to make decisions to move this uh, fight against the Islamic State along much more quickly. So I think if you had a Democrat in office, I don't mean to politicize what is a national security issue, but if you had a Democrat in office, I assure you there would be a lot of discussion about how that Democrat uh, was the second coming of Patton and was the reason for this success on the ground in Iraq and Syria, which, let's be clear, this is predominantly and overwhelmingly an Iraqi fight and an Iraqi success. We have enabled it, we have assisted, and our soldiers in theater were an essential and integral part, but most of the house-to-house, the the door-kicking and the overall security operation was, as it should be, the Iraqi. So this may be a model for uh, other operations, particularly counterterrorism operations in the region where we use a partner uh, to do the ground fighting and we provide other necessary support to make the fight go more quickly and with fewer casualties. By the way, Iraqi casualties are not known in terms of the Iraqi military. Uh, they're keeping it pretty uh, close, uh, closely held. But I will say that the, the reports I've seen suggest that Close to a thousand Iraqi soldiers were casualties of this fight to take back Mosul. That's just one city, uh, and eight hundred thousand civilians had to flee the city. Uh, I, I don't know. No one knows what the population of Mosul is right now, or how many 
will come back. But it, it was a very difficult fight. Uh, the mosque where Abu Bakr al-Baghdadi proclaimed the Islamic State was destroyed by ISIS on their way out. So there is damage that is psychological, and there is obviously a tremendous amount of damage to the city itself. Uh, so this now will be a question for uh, the Iraqi—the big question for the Iraqi authorities will be, can they engage in successful counterterrorism operations uh, and counterinsurgency operations to deal with the remnants of ISIS? Because there will clearly be holdovers. There will be people who uh, maybe are are fighting more from the shadows, uh, but are still a lethal adversary, and one that will be trying to undermine the Iraqi government at every turn. Uh, the fight in Syria is complicated by the fact, well, a number of factors, but uh, not the least of which is that in Iraq, we had a government partner to work with that could bring to bear some uh, resources of of a state, whereas in Syria, the state is still technically the Assad regime. The Islamic State is on the run and fighting for its uh, fighting for its survival in Raqqa, but we don't have a government an official government, an official state entity and military to work with in Syria. So we're working with uh, militia, with anti-Assad forces, with Arab and Kurdish fighters, which just means that that fight is going to be uh, even more complicated, not just in this phase, but in the holding phase. Remember, it's clear and hold. They've cleared Mosul. They have to hold it. They are still uh, clearing uh, Raqqa and the surrounding areas in Syria so this is, uh, I just wanted to update us uh, all on the counterterrorism and ca- basically the counter-ISIS operation, we can really call it that, uh, that's going on in Iraq and Syria. And substantial progress, but a lot of reason to continue to be vigilant and, and to focus in on this issue. Because if there is a major security lapse, uh, there could be another, if another city were to fall, let's say, in Iraq to the Islamic State, or if there was a major rebounding uh, of the Islamic State, it would it would draw us deeper into the region, and I think there could be some very, uh, well, unforeseeable but severe ramifications. So it's important to stay focused on the issue. Uh, team, thank you as always for joining me here in the Freedom Hut, an honor and a pleasure. Uh, please do download the podcast. Go to Buck Sexton with America Now on iTunes. Share it with whomever you may. Uh, your word of mouth is how this show grows. It's how Team Buck grows. So I appreciate whatever you can do for me on that end of things. Uh, Until tomorrow, my friends, as always, no matter what comes your way, shields high.